the mystery of Christ. Paul talked about the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is Christ himself. The, the very mystery, the hidden mystery that, that was not revealed is Christ himself, Colossians says. It's actually the Lord himself, Christ. Men didn't realize that God would come as a man. They knew that they were looking for a Messiah, but they had no idea that it would be the Lord himself coming to them. You see, it was a great mystery that, the, that this one, this king of, that was from the lineage of David would come and it would be God in the flesh, Emmanuel, the root and the offspring of David before David was and from the loins of David. See, uh, the great mystery, God himself coming to us. For what reason? To do our part, like Clark said, to do our part as a man, to live righteous as a man on earth, that he might make covenant with God in heaven for you, for me. Great mystery. Who can, who can explain these things? So this great hidden truth of, of the word that was within the words of God, the word who was with God and was God and became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, or the reality. Truth means reality. And we saw him and we beheld him and, and he came to us. That mystery, that secret, that men didn't understand that there was a son hidden in the Father, that there was a word hidden in all the words of God, the wheel within the wheel that Ezekiel saw, that awesome revelation of God coming to us as a man. Paul says the riches of the glory of that mystery is now the Christ who was hidden in God is now hidden in you. You see, I know this is just so important to see this. The mystery is not Christ in you. If the mystery was Christ in you, then you, would, you and I would be the center of things. It's not Christ in me. That's the riches of the glory of the mystery. The riches, the wealth, the value of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in God, which is the Son and the Father, before we were ever created, for all things were made by Him and for Him and through Him, that awesome mystery of God coming to us as a man, the riches of the glory of that mystery is now Christ is in you. See? And now your life is hidden with Christ inside of God. And your old man, my old man has died in a great mystery and I've been raised again by him in a great mystery. And what I want to talk about for a few minutes tonight is this great mystery of your own death. Spiritual circumcision is the cutting away of the body of the flesh. Colossians says God cut away the body of our flesh when we believed. He cut away the body of the flesh by his own hand. That's why Abraham had the, the sign of circumcision in the Abrahamic covenant. It was foreshadowing your own spiritual circumcision, your own death. It was foreshadowing the death you and I would partake in through the death of Jesus. For we were crucified with him. Nevertheless, we live, yet not I, but Christ now lives in me. The revelation of your own death is a huge key to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you'll notice the writings of the apostles, they link knowing that you died with freedom from sin every time. Knowing that you died and freedom from sin or freedom from the flesh is linked every time in the apostles' writing. We feel like we can't grasp that, but we can. It's not hard to grasp. But it's a revelation. If there's one thing to camp around, if there's one thing to camp around until it breaks forth, Peter said it this way. Peter said, you do good 
to take heed to the scriptures as a lamp that shines in a dark place until the day dawns in your own heart. The word that's in the scripture of Christ and his mystery and his death, the mysterious death and resurrection of Christ, which is our death and resurrection, is in the scripture. We take heed to that and we, la- we ask the Spirit of God to reveal this, this awesome mystery to us. The lamp of the Scripture becomes a light within your heart, Peter says. So that the, what is a lamp in just Scripture is a living light within. So if there's one thing to camp around, camp around this. When I had a brother... One time he was just laying out by the pool and he was, had some worship music on and he, he got a revelation of, of his death on the cross. And he came in to the apartment and he goes, he goes James, I've never seen him like this before. He was, he was like, James, James. He goes, listen, I saw it. I saw it. He goes, I, I died. I really died. I died. I really died. I said, I, I know, Larry, I know. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah, but no, you don't understand. I see it now. I really died with Christ. I mean, he was freaking out. I mean, he was in this glow for days. I mean, he, had, and he, he was a person that was given over to fear about different things. He had no fear about anything. I mean, he was just, in a moment, God broke through and gave him a revelation of his own death on the tree, that he had died with Christ. And, and um, I just, I'll never forget that. He's, he was like, oh my God, I, died, I really died. He goes, this is, it's as if you read in the newspaper that, that Larry Lindsay died yesterday and the funeral was yesterday. It's, that's how real it is. I really am gone. For, I have died. I am out of here. He was freaking out. And, you know, and Paul said those things. Paul said, why are you living? In this, why are you living and submitting yourself to rules that say touch not, taste not, as if you're still living in this world? He said that. Because why, why are you walking on earth as if you're still living on this earth or in this world like you were before? He said, no, you're not, that you have died. And your life has been hidden and raised in Christ. I mean, this is... Even the Lord's Supper, when we do in, when we eat the bread and drink the wine in remembrance of him, Paul says we do show the Lord's death until he comes again. But why, did, why is that important? We show the Lord's death because that is our death. It's a key to, to uh, and I, I pray that this becomes so real in me more and more that um, because the, the flip side of knowing you're, that you've died is to know that you're alive in him. You know, Paul said, consider yourself at dead, even as Christ died once, never to die again, and he ever lives, Romans 6, he ever lives unto God by the power of life. He said, in the same way, consider yourself as having died once, and now see yourselves, consider yourselves as one who is alive from the dead from now on even as Christ is, never to die again. See, we're not to die daily. The old man does not die daily. That's false teaching. The old man does not die daily. The old man died once. Paul says you died once. Christ died once. And when we see the old man died once and, we, and that the new man ever lives we begin to see ourselves walking around as people who have been raised from the dead. And that's exactly the way we're supposed to see ourselves, as new creations, new, new people, the new self. Paul says the new self. We can put on the deeds of the new man because we are a new man, a new person. The old man, see that phrase dying daily comes from a part of Paul's letter when he was being persecuted and he said he was being persecuted and he had wild beasts from Ephesus were attacking him and he was, you know, all this resistance. He goes, and he named all these things that were coming at him. He goes, I die daily. He goes, I'm like a sheep led to the slaughter every day, all the day long. We are slaughtered all the day long. I die daily. That's a reference to the new man being rejected by this world. 
That's the cross that we would be given. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? It means that the, the new man is the one that gets the cross, not the flesh. You see that? See, you don't get the cross to die daily so you can be a better person. No, the flesh, the, the old man died once. Now that you're a new man, not of this world, you will get the same cross of rejection that he got. So we die daily also as a new man. Jesus had no sin in him, but yet he got a cross. He says, you'll get a cross too. You'll get a cross of rejection. If you're not willing to be rejected along with me, you cannot be my disciple. It's just that simple. Because if you, go, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you, do like, if you do like Peter and say, oh, I don't know the man. I don't want to be crucified with him. I don't know the man. That was a picture of Peter refusing the cross. Of course, he didn't, in the, in the end, refuse it. But that's a picture of refusing the rejection. No, 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 I don't know the man. I don't know him. See, the cross of rejection is given to the new man, not the old man. You don't die daily. The old man doesn't die daily. The new man dies daily, but only in the sense of that resistance from the earth. The, the, the rejection of death. As Paul says, death works in me, but life in you. Because as, I, as I'm being beaten, persecuted for this word of grace... Life is getting out of me and exploding in you. Death works in me, but life in you. You see that? It's so cool. So this dying daily stuff has nothing to do with the flesh, nothing to do with sin, and yet we've got this so confused in our teaching, we think that dying daily has something to do with sin of the flesh, that I've got to put myself to death every day and make sure my flesh is... No. If you're thinking that way, you're totally confused. Because the old man does not die daily. Once, he says, consider yourself as having died once. Even as Christ is not to die often, so are you not to die often. The old man is made up of a dead, dead human spirit, dead in the sense that there's no, there's no life from God, spiritually dead, the soul, and the body. It is infected with the power of sin and in that context it can be said that the person has a sinful nature. We're going to answer that question about the nature. So the fallen man that we were all once born in iniquity, born into this world fallen, we had a spirit that was alienated from the life of God. We were darkened in our understanding, Ephesians says, to the things of God. We had been infected from the serpent by taking, our fathers did, and we inherited the power of sin in our very bodies. We were in the flesh, joined to this flesh, joined to it, in death, dead in trespasses and sins. When God circumcised us, when we believed the Holy Spirit touched your human spirit. When you simply believed what Jesus did, God considered you and I as having gone through judgment because of your faith in him. He considered you having been crucified. You judged for all your sins through Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. Paul got the revelation. The Holy Spirit touches your human spirit and raises you from the dead and calls into being that which did not exist before, a new creation is created in a moment. The, the act of the Spirit of God touching your human spirit, and actually what it does, it flows from the very human spirit of the resurrected Jesus. Because the Spirit of God cannot connect directly to human spirit. There must be a man who has both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of a man. You see it? He, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So what happened is that's why the Spirit could not be given in a regenerative way, the Apostle John says, until Christ was glorified. The Spirit of God could not be given, John says, in a regenerative way until Jesus was glorified. It had to be the glorified man, the Son of Man, because then the Father's Spirit would flow from the Son through the human spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus is a man. His human spirit actually touched your spirit, saints. He's in you. He, the man, is actually in you as well as the Son of God. 
Son of man and Son of God is in you. The man is in you. The spirit of a man is in you, joined to your spirit, your man, your human spirit. That's the only way you could be one with him. And now Christ lives in you, and you live in him. And so when he did that, when the spirit of God touched your human spirit, a great mystery took place. This is the great circumcision of God. The way he showed me was like it flows from the inner spirit of man and flows up like a blue flame and covers the soul, spirit. Remember this, saints, the soul and the spirit are inseparable. They are distinguishable, but inseparable. What happened is your inner man, the invisible you, which is soul and spirit, was cut away from the body. Where did God cut? He did not cut between spirit and soul, as some teachings teach, that you're saved in your spirit, your soul is being saved, and your body will be saved. That is not what the scriptures teach. That's not what the apostles taught. The apostles taught that your soul was saved. You find rest for your soul. Peter says, you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth because you have believed and been sprinkled by his blood. Purified your souls, Peter said. You have rest for your soul. He is the anchor for the soul. No, the soul is not being worked on. The soul has passed over in from death into life. A whole new being. We sing about it. We sing he saved my soul. That's exactly the truth. What he did do, he cut between the invisible and the visible. He cut between the invisible and the visible. That's why it says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between what? Soul and spirit, invisible, and joints and marrow, the body. See, it's sharper than any two-edged sword because in a, in a battle, a sword, the deepest the sword can go in the physical, in, in battle, it can go through your skin, through your organs, but the, the, the basic part of the human body is the skeleton. If you take a body and let it just rot, you'll have the last thing to go are the bones. And so what happened is the, what the writer is saying by the Holy Spirit is that a natural sword can cut only as deep as joints and into the bone marrow. That's the farthest you can go inside the body with a sword, a natural sword. The marrow where the blood is made and life is in the blood. The marrow corresponds with the invisible spirit. The joints correspond with the invisible soul, motion, expression, soul expression. But, but life is in the spirit. So the marrow corresponds with the spirit. So what is the writer saying there? He's saying there, saints, that this sword is more powerful than a, the regular two-edged sword. This is, more, this is sharper than any two-edged sword because it goes past the physical body. The reason why the Holy Spirit used joints and marrow, soul and spirit, is to show us the, 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 the where, where it's being cut. He coupled those two things to show where it's being cut and to give us more insight as to what the spirit and soul is all about. That's why the next verse says, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Thoughts speak of soul. Intent speaks of spirit. Your intent, the very intent, your very being, the soul, the very heart of your being is your intention. Your thoughts are the soul. So what, what he's saying there is that the gospel of grace is so powerful that it goes through the physical body, so to speak, and reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart of every human being. It's a sharp sword because it goes right to the invisible person. It reveals whether the person is prideful and seeks a self-righteousness or if the person receives the righteousness of another. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall receive this good news. That's why Jesus said the prostitute would enter his kingdom before the Pharisee. He didn't say the Pharisee would not enter the kingdom. He just said the prostitute would enter it before because the Pharisee has too much baggage. He's got too much self-righteousness. The prostitute has, prostitute has no hope of ever being holy enough. So when she hears the good news, she will enter in sooner than the Pharisee. It might take the Pharisee 20 years to finally come to the end of himself and realize 
I can never be good enough. But the prostitute, no problem. I've been called whatever all my life. I know I'm not holy. And Jesus said, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. So the spirit, the word of, of grace comes in and it reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it's just like God to use grace to reveal the heart. Not judgment. Not judgment. See, the world thinks God's going to, you know, come with fire and that's, that's, you know, God's all about judgment. No. John the Baptist even said, good grief, are you the one or should we look for another? This is not coming around like I thought it would. I mean, John was fiery, man. He's coming with fire to cleanse the earth. We know Pharisees come out to check on John, and John goes, well, why have you come out here, you vipers? He's coming for you, self-righteous vipers, whited sepulchers. And then Jesus goes around forgiving everybody, healing everybody. John's in prison. He goes, this is not the picture I had. He sends a friend. He goes, look, Ask him if he's the one. And he had a revelation from the Father that this is the Messiah. And yet, this was so different from what John expected. This grace that was being revealed, that would reveal the hearts of men, was so different that John thought he was not the Messiah, even after the Father told him he was. That's how different this was. The messenger went to Jesus, and Jesus said, Tell John, and he quoted the scripture, tell John the lame walk, the blind see, and blessed is he who is not offended in the grace of the Son of God. And John got the message. He's the one. He's the one. See, you preach the grace of God. It is the goodness of God which leads men to repentance. You let God, you let the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin. You preach the good news. The word of grace is what will judge the hearts of men. Don't let the enemy say, no, don't preach. That's easy believism. That's sloppy agape. That's whatever. No, it's the, it's the sword. It's the sword that reveals the hearts of men. The enemy wants you to preach law. The enemy wants you to preach condemnation and judgment because that's not the sword. The sword of God is, is the word of his grace. And those who need it will receive it. And those who don't see their need of it will fight it and fight against it. Okay, so, so what happened is the spirit of God touched our human spirit and cut away the body of flesh. Now, what happened to sin? What happened to sin? Now, this is a great mystery. But God was able, only God can do this. God was able to quarantine the power of sin in your mortal body. What I'm about to say right now is in all the apostolic writings, it is a key truth to understand if we are going to walk in the Spirit, and yet almost no one is teaching this in the body of Christ. And it's in all your Bibles. And it's this, that the power of sin not a sinful nature, but the power of sin. That's the apostolic wording. The power of sin, the mystery of iniquity, is in your members. Remember reading that? In your members. In your mortal body. It's in your body. God quarantined the power of sin and left it in your flesh and blood. But the real you on the inside is as far away from that sin as the east is from the west because the invisible you is in a different dimension. See that? You have been translated, the soul and spirit, the real you. When you die, the body stays. The real you, soul and spirit, absent from the body, present with the Lord, that's already happened in a sense because God has literally translated you you're still in the body, but he's translated you 
from this realm of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son by the gift of the spirit, the presence, so that the power of sin in your mortal body does not, cannot touch you. And as Clark says, the new man not only does not have sin, which is why God doesn't remember any sin in you, but he doesn't remember any sin in your past either because your new man has no past. You, God could, not, God could not just join himself to someone who'd been cleaned up. He, God, we're talking about God. God, uncreated light. God could only join himself to that which is pure and that which has always been pure and that which was made by him to be his home. We have been made the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit in this great mystery of your death and my death and your resurrection and my resurrection through him. You can lay your head on your pillow at night and know that the words of the prophets have been fulfilled in that you now have a new heart. The prophet said the time will come when I will wash you with clean water and I will give you a new spirit and I will give you a new heart. Prophets prophesied of the new covenant that was coming. Prophets prophesied that God would take out our stony heart of death, stony heart of death, and put in a fleshly heart. That means not fleshly in the bad sense of that word. That means a heart that's living, pumping from stone to flesh, from dead stone to living or, uh, organ, so to speak. It has, been, it has been done. We don't, we are like Jacob. God is in this place and we don't know it. Esau and Jacob were twins. They came from the womb together. Jacob holding Esau's heel. Why? Because it's a picture of one person. God is painting a picture of you. All this was done for you so that when they were born, you know, we talk about my evil twin must have done that. That's exactly what that's a picture of. Esau was the evil twin. That's the picture of the old man. Jacob is a picture of the new man. God cut away the old man. God cut away the flesh. Now, the old man ceased to exist the moment you were raised from the dead by the power of his spirit and the body was cut off. The old man cannot exist. It's really true. The old man is gone. He doesn't raise his ugly head every now and then and battle you. The old man is gone. What remains is the power of sin in the mortal body, which is stimulated by law. The mystery of iniquity is stimulated by law because what is the mystery of iniquity? It is a deception. It is a lie that is in your very fabric of your being, which God has removed from your heart, removed from your mind, removed from your being, and left in your body, but it's still stimulated by law. And that is this, a lie that says, I can be like God without God. So when law comes to you, you try to do it. And when you try to do it, you fail. And what was life to be life to you is death to you, Paul said. He learned all this. Paul got this revelation of how now, you see, this business of the Christian now, you know, is not saved by law and not justified by law. But now that he's a Christian, he needs the law as a rule of life to guide his life. No, no, no. Law will still stimulate sin in the believer's life as much as it stimulates sin in the unbeliever's life. Galatians is full of that. Like Clark says, Galatians is not a book about how to be justified. Galatians is a book about how to walk out the life of God in the Spirit. That which was begun in the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh, Galatians says. See? So we've got to realize, realize that this is big. This is really big. I mean, this is serious stuff. And I cannot believe we're still arguing about this. I mean, really, it's pathetic that the church 
is still arguing about whether we're under law or not when Paul could not have made it more clear. He said, you're dead to law as a believer. He says the law are the letters of death. He says the law is the strength of sin. He says the law stimulates sin in the flesh. He says the law is not of faith. He says the law does not glorify God. He says the law, of, of the, any glory it may have had, has no glory compared to the revelation of grace in Christ Jesus. I mean, over and over and over again. And yet we still wonder, are we still in the law? I mean, are we dense or what? Are we blind or what? It's spiritual. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual blindness. It is. It's spiritual. Who has bewitched you? Paul says. Who has bewitched you? It's spiritual. Which is why I wanted to pray first because this is a spiritual lifting of a veil. I cannot convince you of this. Clark cannot. Bill cannot. Alan cannot. We cannot convince you of this. Neither could someone convince me of this. It was revealed to me. And it will be revealed to you. The lamp in the scriptures will become the, the dawning of a new day. In your heart, the sun will rise. In your own heart, you will know it for yourself. For they shall all be taught of God, the scripture says, in this new covenant. You need no man teach you, John says. This is so cool. John says, we write these things because of the people that try, are trying to deceive you. Right after he says that, right after he says, we write these things because of those who are trying to deceive you, what does he say? Does he say, pay attention to our doctrine, come and learn our, our stuff, come to our schools, come to our class, don't listen to them, listen to us. No, no, no. John says, we write these things because of those who are trying to deceive you. And then he says, for you need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you, shall lead you into all truth, and you shall abide in Him. The apostles were bold to point the body of Christ to Christ and not to men. They were bold to say, you need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you shall lead you into all truth, and you shall abide in Him. And I'm telling you what's happening right now in your spirit. You, in your spirit right now, is, you are saying right now, yes. You know why? Because you're the bride. Because you're the bride. The bride knows his voice, seeks his voice, desires his voice, hears his voice. Oh, so the old man is gone. He's gone. You're gone. The old is gone. We still have the residual power of sin in our mortal body. And so when we walk sometimes after the flesh, we find ourselves doing the deeds of the old man, but not the old man living again. The old man is gone. But there are the deeds of the old man, Paul says. So put off the deeds of the old man. How? By walking in the spirit, Paul said. By walking in this new reality. With the mindset, mindset, have a mindset, a mindset of heavenly things, of heavenly realities, knowing this truth, knowing your union, knowing you're a son or a daughter, knowing God is your, your papa, the spirit of the son cries out in you, Abba, Papa, Abba, Abba, Abba. That's who you are. Set your mind on this reality, and you will walk in the spirit effortlessly. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, because it is what is, what is. Just like the Lord spoke to Tricia, and, and the Lord said to Tricia, after she said, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to rest. He who has entered his rest, he who has believed has entered his rest and has ceased from his own works as God did cease from his. He made this so easy, so simple that a child could do it. He's given us enough information that we can believe. We don't have all the answers to explain everything. We're not supposed to. But he's given us enough through the, through the apostles, through the apostolic teaching, to let us have enough to see, okay, I see. I see how, he's, how he did that. I believe. Be it, to, be it unto me, Lord, according to your word. Be it unto me, Lord. According to your word.
Be as Mary. Be as Mary. The coming of Christ into the earth is a picture of how He comes into us. A word comes forth. And we believe or we don't believe. And Mary believed. And He came into her womb. In the same way He comes into us. In the same way He came into the world is how He comes into us. The word has become flesh again in you. The word has become flesh again in you. And in me. But, you, but say to him, be it unto me, Lord, according to your word. You have a chance to be like Mary. You have a chance on earth to boast in your God and be like Mary and say, come, Lord Jesus. I don't understand it all. But let it be to me according to your word. I don't understand the mystery of my death and my resurrection. I don't understand how you can cut away the body of the flesh and quarantine sin in my mortal body. I don't understand how I can pass from death and into life. I don't understand how eternal life can abide within me now. I don't understand how I can be as you are, seated with you in heavenly places. I don't understand it all, but I do believe. I do believe. Be it unto me, according to your word. And you, saint, you and I will grow in a deep revelation of our own death, which happened one time, and our own life, which is in union with him who lives forever. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What will happen, saints, is a growing awareness will come to us. And I say this all the time, you know, in real estate, the key thing in real estate is location, location, location. Well, the key thing in spiritual matters is awareness, awareness, awareness. You and I will become more and more aware of him within. You see what the enemy has done? Be wise as a serpent. You see what the enemy has done? You cannot grow in your awareness of your union with the Christ as long as you think you're having to confess sins that you have, you think, that are attached to you that need further cleansing. It's impossible. And that's exactly what the enemy did. He could not erase the historical fact of the Christ. He could not erase the fact of his death. He could not erase his resurrection, although he tried. He could not erase the one act of the Son of God, the one act of obedience by the Son who brought, that brought righteousness to all who would believe. He could not wipe it out, so what he did was he made his death a continual thing, a continual thing, a continual thing. And he made the bread become his flesh, and he made the wine become his blood, and they called it mass. And they raised up the bread and the wine, and called, they called it transubstantiation, where actually his, the bread turned to his flesh and the wine turned to his blood and they offered him up on the altar again and again and again. It's called the mass. For centuries, for centuries, the enemy had him crucified again and again and again and again because he knew that if you saw it was once for all time, for all sin, for all people, you would be catapulted into an awareness of the power of the Spirit of Christ who is your life. To live is Christ. And the Protestants pulled away just a little. They pulled just a little away with the, with the truth about justification by faith. But they kept so much of the, of the serpent's lies for hundreds of years no, we're not just dung covered by snow, Luther. No, we're not. A new creation has been raised. 
There are three things I believe the body of Christ must get. If you get these three things, you're well on your way to joy unspeakable and full of glory in Him. Number one, the church must reverse its teaching concerning 1 John 1, 9 and this business of daily confession for daily cleansing. It must be exposed for the lie that it is. We have a Savior who did not just cover sin but took it away. It's an Old Testament mentality that says you have to get your sins covered over and over and over and over and over again. That's number one. That's got to be reversed in the church. It's huge, and it will not go down easily. The second thing that must be reversed in the church is a clear proclamation that we do have a new heart. That will not go down easily. The Calvinists, the Reformed theologians, teach that you have an evil heart still, that you're but a worm, that you're the dung covered with snow, and that God is working on your heart. And as the Spirit convicts your heart of sin, you repent, and God cleanses you, and you go through the ritual of confession, and that's how God sanctifies you and makes you more holy. It is a lie. The truth is, you have a new heart. Behold, any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have become new, especially the heart. That's where God joins himself to us, the very center of our being. Out of our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He cannot dwell in us in any other way. We have a new heart. The prophet's words have come true. It has been fulfilled in you. That must be reversed in the church, and it will not go away easily. Because so much of their teaching and their books and their tapes and their CDs are based on these two lies. Not just the Reformed Calvinists, but it's widespread. The third thing that must go down, not only are we forgiven and our sins are been, have been taken away, and we need not name our sins on a daily basis to stay right with God, not only do we have a new heart, but we must see the heavenly dynamic, which is the way Christ is formed in us. The way Christ is manifested through us, the way fruit is born, is not by looking at the flesh. Not by looking at the flesh where sin has been relegated to. For no good thing dwells in the flesh, Paul says. But we must see the new dynamic of looking at Jesus. Looking at Jesus. Set your mind on things above. Fix your eyes on Him. Set. Fix. Those words give no room for looking back and forth to sin. One of the theologians' books that I have underlined, this is what they teach. They teach in this book that is in seminaries, most seminaries says that it is the surgical power of the law in the believer's life which exposes layers of sin that is the means by which God sanctifies the believer and grace is the anesthetic to make the process, what's the word I want to say? Palatable. That's what they teach. That grace is just there to make it palatable. How do you say that? Palatable. Palatable. What's a better word? Another word, because I can't say that word. Tolerable. I like that. I can say that. Tolerable. To make it tolerable. That's ridiculous. But that's how they think. They think the law is used to expose sin in the flesh. They, but they don't say flesh. It's sin in the heart. So you can be convicted of that sin, repent of that sin, and then grace is there to make it tolerable. That's got to go. That's got to go. The third thing must go. It must be what the apostles taught. The apostles were very clear about this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your mind on things above. If you have died and been raised with him, set your mind above where you are, seated with him in heavenly places. There is no room for looking back at the flesh. God doesn't recognize Esau. Esau is not recognized. Esau does not have the promises. Jacob must waken up. Jacob must, Jacob must awaken. Awake, Paul says, and Christ shall give thee light. Jacob must awaken. Jacob awoke. He awoke, and what did he say? He said, with the Jacob's ladder, the heavens were open, and Jacob awoke, and he said, God is in this place. I saw a ladder joining heaven and earth. 
heaven and earth. Jesus in the Gospel of John says, Oh, Nathaniel, just because I saw you under the fig tree, you think I'm the Son of God. Oh, Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than these, Nathaniel. You're going to see the, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man because He is Jacob's ladder. He has bridged heaven and earth in you. You have his home in you. The kingdom has come. Jacob must awaken. And what did Jacob do? How did he increase with cattle? The angel showed him in a dream to have them look at something. Look at, look at striped sticks in the water. That's the heavenly dynamic to look at the revelation of Christ. Peel back. They became what they saw. They mated at the water troughs. That speaks of the spirit and intimacy. Beholding him in intimacy by the spirit, you will be renewed in your mind. It is the heavenly dynamic that will bring forth the real you in manifestation. And the last thing that happened to Jacob is when he was wrestling with the angel. And this is the final piece of the new man must understand is that you cannot live this life on your, by yourself. You cannot do it. Jacob was holding on to God, wrestling with God, saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me, not realizing he had already been blessed by God. So God had to get him to let go of him somehow. This sounds counterintuitive, but he had to get Jacob to stop holding on to him so God could hold Jacob. He was holding on to God with all his might, and the angel said he touched his, his hip, and that's what released him when he released him because of the weakness. He became instantly dependent on another, on a staff he would lean on, a picture of Christ. And the moment he, was, he released God, Jacob said, My God, I have seen the face of God. No barrier, like Clark said, no barrier. The new man will see the face of God. And God will see your face, your face. Just as Clark says, not Jesus in front of you. No, he has made you like him. He sees your face and he gives you your name. And he tells Jacob, you are really Israel. A prince with God in heaven and with men on earth. From that point forward, he had no problem with Esau. The full circle, he comes and crosses the river and the flesh was no longer a threat to him. He went back to the place where he poured oil on the rock when he first saw the open heaven that he called Bethel, house of God. And then he renamed it and said, El Bethel. I renamed this place, not the house of God, but the God of the house of God. Because it's not just grace, it's not just forgiveness, it's not just these awesome truths, it's him. He saw his face. Jesus wants you to see his face. He sees your face. Behold this mystery. You and I have died. We've been circumcised by the hand of God. And we've been raised in him. Wrapping it up real quick. I'm just going to read a few verses and that's it. I'm not going to comment. Please listen to this. With all your heart. This is the Apostle Paul. Jesus himself speaking through the Apostle Paul and now speaking to you tonight and me tonight. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him... All the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. The mystery, the mystery, the mystery. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule 
and all authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of your flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, making taking the law away from them as a weapon to convict you and condemn you. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or even of the Sabbath. For these things were just shadows of the reality, but the reality belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. For you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to the things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and a severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Woo! Oh, Father, we just pray that Lord, help us see the awesome work of the Son of God. Help us see. Oh God, mystery of mysteries. How can these things be? How can these things be? Because He is the Lord from heaven because he is the last Adam, because with God all things shall be possible. Lord, according to your word, let it be unto us. Remove all veils, remove all veils, bring light. Bring great light. For they who lived by Galilee in the region of Naphtali, who sat in darkness, have seen a great light, and a light has dawned on them. Amen.